God, it is so good for us to be able to gather together and to sing praises to you, God. Thank you, God, that you died for us, for a sinner like me. And we remember that today. Thank you that in your house there's, there's no condemnation, there's forgiveness, there's grace because of what Jesus offers us through his blood and by faith, through your grace, God. We just thank you for that. We want, God, we want to dwell in and with you. God, we lift up this church to you. God, I pray that you'll give us wisdom, clarity, and boldness to be the people that you've called us to be here at Skiff Lake Bible Church and to do the things that you've called us to do. God, I pray that you'll use us to fund missions uh, that, that bring your good news to the ends of the earth, Lord God. God, I pray that you will use us to live the missionary life here, that we may be ambassadors and witnesses in our own communities, Lord God. God, I pray that you will bring people here into this church building that are far from you, that need the hope that we have in you. God, will you equip us to introduce them to you and to walk alongside them in their faith journey? God, we ask for that, God, and get us ready for that. God, as we look forward to Easter, I pray that you will work in the lives of many people around the world that when they hear the gospel presented, even if they've come to Easter service time after time again, but it's just something they do, that their eyes will be open and you'll bring them salvation, Lord God. God, I thank you for the kids that we have here. God, I pray that you will grow them in their faith, that they will see their need of a Savior and put their faith in you. And God, I pray that you'll bring more families with kids that need to know about you. Raise up workers and volunteers, God. The harvest is ready. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. God, we need workers. Your church needs workers. Equip us and send us out. God, as we get into your word today, God, don't let it be my words. Let it be yours that go out with your power. God, the things that you've laid on my heart, God, I pray that you will speak to me and through me, Lord God. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand what you would have us do. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, well, our skiff kids, um, pre-K through uh, fifth grade, sixth grade, you guys can head on down to your class, and we will welcome you back up uh, right before having a, a baptism. Okay, so we'll see you at the end of, of church service today. Good morning again. Well, we're doing things just a little bit different today, okay? Uh, we're going to push pause on our Gifted to Serve sermon series, okay? And if you're here today and you're like, oh, I was really enjoying that, I want to get that. Well, I'm glad, okay? I'm glad that that's been good for you. We are going to cover everything. Uh, but with what was going on this past week, and I was just praying and thinking, God, are, do we just keep going ahead in what you have for us, or do you have something different for us today in the season of life that our church is in? Because, you know, for a lot of you, Pastor, Pastor John David Larkin was your pastor and your friend, your brother in Christ, maybe a father figure. He ministered to you for decades and decades and, and decades, right? And that's real. That's where we're at, right? We grieve and we mourn and we hurt and we ache. We don't mourn like those who have no hope, no. But it stings, it hurts. And so... That's what this sermon is going to be a little bit about today. We're going to talk about new life and life eternal. And where I want to start out today is this. Jesus said this in John eleven twenty five. 
you're going to have to open up your Bibles today. We don't got much on the screen today, okay? John 11:25. Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will live even though he dies. He that believes in me will live even though he dies. That's what we celebrated here on Friday. We celebrated that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that Pastor John David Larkin, whose body was right here, that he had believed in Jesus and even though he had died here, he would live. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And you know, some of you here, when you were here on, on Friday, you talked about what maybe Pastor John and Pastor Larkin is doing in heaven and maybe how he's reminiscing with some of your loved ones, your husbands, or that have gone before you. Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He or she, okay, who believes in me will live even though they die. Now maybe you've heard the phrase, well, talk is cheap. So Jesus said this. But how do we really know that he's a resurrection of life? If, if you're in the book of Luke chapter 11, I'm going to get a little stool here. Sometimes this is what I do. I have my little stand and I have my Bible stool. All right, so John chapter 11. We're going to get the story behind Jesus' words, okay? I'm the resurrection of life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. So you can turn to John chapter 11. We'll read some of the verses, but kind of just going to summarize some of it. This is what's going on in John chapter 11. Jesus has a really good friend, and his name is Lazarus. Lazarus was somebody that Jesus loved. He spent time at the house of Lazarus, who was Lazarus was living with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Bethany was just a couple miles away from Jerusalem. So Jesus was living, and a lot of his ministry is kind of up north in Galilee, and when he came down south to Jerusalem, Bethany was only like two miles away. So they would stay there at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, Mar- and Lazarus was a dearly loved friend of Jesus. Lazarus gets really sick. And so Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. And you know what? If you're... If you're there in that day and you've seen Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle, like if anybody deserved, that's not the right word, merit, that's not the right word, but if anybody like Jesus would have stopped what he was doing to go rescue them, like wouldn't it be a good friend, right? But he waits. And he tells his disciples, don't worry about it. It's not going to end in death. God's going to be glorified. And he waits. And then finally he says, hey, we're going to we're gonna, we're gonna go visit Lazarus. Because he's sleeping and I've got to wake him up. And the disciples are like, Wow, well, Jesus, Bethany, like that's two miles away from Jerusalem. Last time you were in Jerusalem, they tried to kill you. Are you sure you really want to go to Jerusalem? Because if he's sleeping, that means he's going to get better, right? Because he's resting. And Jesus said, no, he, he died. You missed, you missed that. That's what I, He died. But I'm glad this happened because I, this, this is going to show you something new. It's going to open your eyes to your faith. And so Jesus finally journeys with his disciples. And here's an interesting little side note. You all know Thomas, right? The apostle, Thomas. What's his nickname? Doubting Thomas. Yeah. Thomas gets kind of a bad rap. Doubting Thomas, right? Because he doubted because he was the only disciple that didn't see with his eyes. They all saw with their eyes, Jesus. They're like, Jesus is alive. And he's like, nah, not until I see. I need the same experience as you. And he did. He doubted. Okay? But in this passage, Thomas says, Well, let's go and die with him. So doubting Thomas, yeah, 
He became believing Thomas, the first one in scriptures to say, my Lord and my God. He also was Thomas that said, well, if you're going to Jerusalem to die, we're going to go with you. So don't forget about that when you think about Thomas, okay? Not just doubting Thomas. So they're on their way, and they get there. And by the time they get there, Lazarus has already died. In fact, he has been buried for four days already. Put yourself in Mary and Martha's shoes. Jesus is a good friend of your family. If anybody could have rescued your brother, it would have been who? Jesus. You've seen him. You've seen him do miracles. You know he can heal people. And you're waiting at your brother's sickbed, becoming close to deathbed, and you're waiting, and you're waiting for Jesus to come, and he's not coming, and you're telling your brother to hold on because Jesus is on his way, and Jesus is on his way, and Jesus is on his way, and, and he dies. Jesus hasn't come yet. And a day goes by, and the morning and the funeral and all that is happening. Four days go by. What would you be thinking? What would you be wondering? When Jesus finally shows up, do you know what one of the first things Martha says to him? Anybody know? What would be the first thing you'd say to him? Where were you? Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. Honest question, right? I mean, like, that's where we would be. Like, you're here, but you came too late. What took, if you would have, Jesus, if you would have been here, he would not have died. And let's pick up the story there. John chapter 11. And this is what Jesus says. Because Martha goes out to meet him. Verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she follows it up with this. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she says, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But I know that God will still do whatever you ask of him. And Jesus says, your brother's going to live again. He's going to rise from the dead. And Martha says, I know that. The resurrection at the end of days, he will live again. And Jesus, pause button. What does he say there? I am the resurrection and the life. That resurrection that's coming at the end, you know it in part. It's here. It's me. I'm the one you're waiting for. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And then verse 26, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ or the Messiah, the anointed one. That's what it means. The son of God who was to come into the world. So he said, look, I'm the resurrection and the life. That resurrection that you have been looking forward to, that's me. It's in me. And this is all throughout the Gospels, especially in John. The Passover lamb, the Passover celebration, celebrating God rescuing you out of Egypt and the lamb that was slain that covers you, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. That's me, Jesus is saying. And a skeptic could say words are cheap. And so we continue the story. Mary goes, Martha goes back to Mary and says, the teacher is here and he's looking for you. So Mary comes on out and what's the first thing that she says? She says, where were you? Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Come and see, they said. And then Jesus wept. Now, if you know the rest of the story, you know what's going to happen. And Jesus knew what was going to happen. And he still was overcome with emotion of his friend who died. 
And Jesus wept. You see, God is not unaware of the sorrows that we carry in our heart. He's not aloof. He's not far away. Jesus is called the man of many sorrows. He knows and he understands. And Jesus wept when his friend had died. There's that verse in the scriptures that says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Because the power of, of, of death is in sin, but Jesus has defeated death. Well, you know what? There is a reality that death does still sting us that are left here because we miss them. Because they're not here right now. Now, the sting of death has been removed. Pastor John Larkin doesn't feel the sting of death. Your loved ones that have gone that have passed away in the Lord do not feel the sting of death in the presence of God where there is glorious joy. We still feel it and it still hurts. And Jesus understands and he weeps too. Let's continue on the story, right? Because Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And you know what? Yes, talk is cheap. Jesus is going to back it up. Because what's going to happen? They come there to the tomb and he says, roll the stone away. And they're like, that's a bad idea. He's been in there four days. And Jesus says, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God if you believe? Roll the stone away. They do. And he looks up to heaven and he prays a prayer that's basically like, God, I thank you that you hear me and you, and you answer me. And I'm not saying this for me. I'm saying this so they hear this. And I thank you that you answer my prayer. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead guy walks out. And Jesus says, take the grave clothes off of him. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And then he backs it up. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Now Lazarus was going to die again later on. But this I am the resurrection and the life, he backs it up right away with Lazarus. But it's also pointing forward to if we read a couple chapters on in John, Jesus backs it up because he dies on the cross for our sins. And three days later, he raises from the dead to never die again. Jesus is the resurrection and life and it's in him that we have real true life now and forever go ahead and turn into your bibles uh, turn your bibles to romans chapter six i'm going to read there in a bit i'm going to use a new living translation okay as long as the technology on my phone works okay in Romans chapter 6, it talks about this new life. Today we're talking about new life and life eternal that comes because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, okay? And so in Romans chapter 6, we get, uh, we get about this new life that's coming. It talks a little bit about baptism, which we're going to do later on, and about why we do it the way that, that we do it and what it kind of symbolizes and what it means. But before we get there... We've got to understand where Paul is coming from. We can't just pick up, right, in, in Romans chapter 6 and, and dive right in. And we've got to understand a little bit of the context behind this, okay? Because maybe your version starts with, like, therefore, or well then. Well, we've got to figure out what's going on in front of it. Now, a lot of you probably really like the book of Romans, okay? Because Romans is like Paul's grand treatise of his theology. He's never been to the church in Rome, so he's introducing himself to them, and it just lays out the entire gospel. It's a very beautiful book, deep in grace, deep in our need of a Savior, okay? It's a very deep book also, so it's really fun to dig in and study, okay? But, but the basis of the first couple chapters of, of Romans, and again, this is like flying over, okay? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ, because in that is the power for salvation for everyone who believes, 
First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Anybody and everybody is welcome in by the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved, okay? So he starts out kind of right there, and then he lays out the case why you need a Savior. Why you need a Savior. And he gets to Romans chapter 3. So go ahead, if you actually want to turn to Romans chapter 3, we'll read a couple verses from here. And this is what he says in verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 10 of Romans. This is the New Living Translation. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Nobody. Nobody can look at God's standard or perfection and be like, yep, I made it. I'm good enough. That's it. No. Skipping down to, to verse 20. Because nobody can be righteous, nobody is righteous. Get this, verse 20. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. You can't be good enough to be made right with God. You can't be good enough to be declared righteous in God's sight. Paul says the law simply shows us how sinful we are. We look at the law and we go, Oh, I see all the ways I've messed up. Because the law says don't covet. And I look at something that my neighbor has and I go, Oh, I really want that. I wish I had it. I wonder if I could take it from them. I I didn't think that. I didn't really think that, did I? And we go, oh, I didn't take it, but I coveted it. That's what the, I, I wanted it so bad that I kind of wanted to take it. I'm a lawbreaker. That's what the law does. Verse 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. The word often uses to be justified, made just as if you had never sinned. God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law because we can't. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all have thought, done, and said things that are wrong and failed to do the right thing. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight, justifies us. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those whose sins in time passed. For he, God, was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Paul has brought up to Romans chapter 3, you need a savior, you're not good enough, you can't do it, but look, there is a righteousness, a way to be made right with God that is separate from doing all the right things and not doing the wrong things and keeping the sacrifices and doing all this. It's separate from that. It comes because Jesus died in your place, And his sacrifice is a sacrifice, the word is used, of atonement, which means to cover over. That your sins are covered over by the blood of Jesus Christ. And anybody and everybody who looks at Jesus and says, I need you to save me, and I trust that you can, Jesus saves them. And to them, he becomes a resurrection and a life. And because they have believed in him, they will live even though they die. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter Uh, I want to take just a little bit of time here to just unpack the gospel a little bit. We often talk about it, why we need a Savior and, and things like that. 
I, I just want to share something. You probably have seen some of this before. Maybe you haven't. Here's kind of a picture. You see, we're on one side and we have God on the other side. God's purpose, God is, is there on the other side. That's heaven, that's perfection. But we have a problem. We sin, right? We say, do, and think things that are wrong. We don't do the right thing. And the scripture says that, that not only do we have a problem that sin, but sin's penalty is death, okay? And not just sin's penalty, the wage of sin. What you get, what you earn when you sin is death. That's what the scripture says. So we have a problem because it's not just the death that we die here, but it's hell. It's eternal separation from God forever. So we have a problem, right? The problem is sin. Its penalty is death. And it's like there's this huge chasm. And we want to try to get across. And if you're here today and you think you're good enough, or you're not so bad. Or you go to church. You give money. You do the good things. And that's going to allow you to kind of jump across that chasm. You're mistaken. Nobody can jump across the chasm. You know, Jesus said it, it's, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And some of that, because they, they don't need a savior. They have everything they need. You know, sometimes it's hard for somebody who is really good to get into heaven because they think they can jump across that chasm. You know, it'd be like if we were like, hey, we're going to swim across the Pacific Ocean or something like that just by yourself. And, and, and it'd be like me and somebody else and Michael Phelps and something like that. Like who would get the furthest, okay? It doesn't really matter who would get the furthest. We'd all drown, right? I would probably get the least fur, fur, far, whatever. Can we edit that out, you know? The cross is like a bridge. Jesus dying in your place, in my place is a bridge for us to have eternal life that we can walk across. And so when you're, you know, I kind of would look, ask you, like, where are you at in this picture? Like, are you over here in your problem of sin without knowing about it? Are you kind of like peeking down and wondering, how do I get across? And you see this cross there and you're wondering about it? Or are you, you kind of like this guy that you, you made it over? You put your faith in Jesus. Where are you at? Where you at in this? Because you see, it's it, it's not it's not a really hard thing to put your faith in Jesus. And on the other side, it, it can be a really hard thing, right, to put your faith in Jesus. But it's simple. And I, I know I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again. Is that kind of like Pastor Larkin? I know you've heard this story before, but it's good. I'm going to use it again. Don't worry, I'll be right back. And I'll be like, where'd he go? Except I've got a new red chair. It's not mine, but it works better. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> Doesn't tip over as often. When we talk about putting our faith in Jesus, and you've heard this before, and if you've already put your faith in Jesus, then I want you to know this because you're supposed to share it. Putting your faith in Jesus is like, I look at this chair and I go, I think this chair is going to hold me up. And I sit in it. And I didn't have to tell you that I think it's going to hold me up. If I just sit in it, that shows that I think the chair is going to hold me up. Faith in Jesus is, you realize that you can't jump across that chasm. But he can take you across. Yeah, I'm in a chair, aren't I, sweetie? And you sit in it. That's what faith is. 
I'm persuaded. I need a Savior. Jesus, you can save me. I don't understand everything. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know very much. You just have to know you need a Savior and that Jesus is a sufficient Savior. And then you say, I trust you, save me. And you sit in the chair. And you cross the bridge. And that's how new life begins. What does this new life mean? What does it look like? Now we're in Romans chapter 9. And again, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Because here Paul is talking to people that have put their faith in Jesus. And he's talked about their need for a Savior. And then he's talked about the righteousness that comes when you believe, when you say yes to Jesus and you sit down in the chair. It's not even something that comes with words. It's in your head and in your heart, this persuasion. And, and when you do that, and, he talk, and then he's talking about God's grace. And the people are like, and, and Paul says, when, when sin abounds, God's grace superabounds. And so people are like, well, if I want a lot of God's grace, if I sin this much, I'll get more grace. Right? So I can do what I want and just get more grace. And Paul says, no, you missed it. Yes, God's grace can superabound your sin, but that doesn't mean that you just live in sin. Okay, this is chapter 6. Oh, if it ever turns there. Maybe I won't read the NLT. You have it there? Oh, you pull it up and I'll read from here if I... Romans chapter 6, you got it there? You are awesome. I love my wife. Well then, should we just keep on sinning so God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not, Paul says. In Greek, it's ukme, which means no, no way. It's like pound the pulpit. No, no. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives, okay? So Paul says, look, the picture of of baptism, which the baptistry is actually hidden here underneath the stage, okay? The picture of baptism is that when we are baptized, it is this public declaration of, I know I need a Savior. I know Jesus can save me. I have sat in the chair that is Jesus, and I want everybody to know. This is who I am. I want Jesus. And the picture is, you're dunked under the water. And it's a picture of when you believed in Jesus, you identified with his his death. He died, that means you died. And he took your punishment. And he rose from the dead. And when you come up out of the water, it's like you're dead, you're buried, you come up out of the water. Jesus rose to life, new life, and eternal life. And you will too. Life eternally. But, but notice here in, in, in verse 4, verse 5, it doesn't say we're raised to eternal life. It says we, we're raised to new life. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, it's not just fire insurance that gets us out of hell and gets us to heaven. And eternal life is someday out there. It's now. There's new life now. As a Christian, or if you're not a Christian, this is a life that's held out to you. Your life is... You have, you have a new identity. You have belonging. You have a purpose. 
You see, if you put your faith in Jesus, then you are called a child of God, that we're adopted. God is our Father. We're his adopted son, his adopted daughter. And in Ephesians, it says that he lavishes his grace on us because he redeems us. And lavish is like how I like to put cool on my ice cream. That's what God gives you. His love lavished on you, adopted. You're his child. That's your new identity. And where do you belong? I would dare say that you can belong among God's people in the church. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're welcomed into his family. Remember we talked about that the church is not the building, it's God's people. It's God's called out from the world, spirit-filled, commissioned, marked by love, people who gather together to worship God and build one another up in the Lord while we wait for Christ's glorious return. So if you're a Christian or if you're on that, should I cross it or not? There's a new identity for you. There's a place to belong among these people here that love you, and know you, and care about you, want to walk alongside you, and there's a new purpose in life. The scripture says, I think, I think, Mike, you talked about it, we're convinced one has died, therefore all has died. There's new creations in Christ Jesus. So we can't look at people through our own worldly eyes. We've got to put like our spiritual glasses on and see people the way that God sees them. We have a purpose. Every person you meet is going to spend eternity somewhere and you're plan A. We're plan A for being missionaries, ambassadors, and witnesses so that they would know the hope that we have. That we don't mourn like those who have no hope. Why? Because Jesus is a resurrection and a life. And he who believes in him will live even though he dies. Jesus said this in John chapter 40. He says, if you look at me and believe... I will raise you up on the last day. I myself will raise you up on the last day. When you sit in the chair that is Jesus and you look at him and you know you need a savior and you trust in him, he says, I myself will raise you up on the last day. And how did he back it up? Because he himself rose from the dead. And you may go, "How how do we know that? Come on Easter, we'll talk about it. Bring some friends. We'll talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the absolute most important event ever. We're going to talk about that on Easter. So you have a place to belong. You have a purpose because Christ is returning again someday. And so you have a purpose in life because God has called you to be his ambassador to the world. And so that's life here. That's that new life here. New life and life eternal. Because yes, we talk about, we, we, we were baptized and when we were baptized, we were we identified with his death and because Jesus died and rose again, we will too because we sat in the chair that is Jesus and we have new life now and we have new life to come. Life eternal. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Uh, I don't know if we'll actually read from it or if I'll just kind of summarize it, but you can make sure I get it right, okay? Scott Keen shared this passage on Friday. And I told him afterwards, I was like, I love those chapters, Scott. <laughs> Revelation chapter 4 and 5, John is called up to the throne room. Can you imagine that? There's a throne. There's one seated on the throne. Crystal, carnelian, gems I don't even know about. 
this great glassy sea and there's these four living creatures that look really bizarre with eyes all over them and there's 24 elders uh, you know, clothed in white seated around the throne and they've got these crowns on it and there's God on his throne and forever and always the four living creatures are singing what? Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. There's this choir singing. And, and, and Scott was talking about, but then, then as you keep reading, it goes out because there's those four living creatures and then there's 24 elders that they throw their crowns down. Like, our crowns are nothing. You're everything and you're worthy because, because you are the God who's created everything. Okay, let me, I'm, I can't make this up. Okay, Revelation chapter 4. There's this worship around the throne where the elders say, you are, uh, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Okay, And we read down a little bit, and then there's this lamb that looks like it's been slain that comes out. But it's interesting, because the angel says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and you're like, lion's coming. Door opens, and a lamb walks out. And you're like, hmm, what? The lion of the tribe of Judah who's conquered actually looks like a lamb that's been slain. A resurrected lamb comes in and he takes his place on the throne with his father because there's a scroll that has seven seals that nobody can open except for the lamb. And then we get a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain. With your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. The choir. And then the choir gets bigger because now there's thousands upon thousands of angels singing Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then verse 13 of chapter 5. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And I think Pastor Scott said, that sounds like a choir. I think Pastor Larkin would love to be a part. And a question I have for you, do you want to be a part of that choir? I don't know what all heaven's going to be like. Now, there's a song that I remember singing in college, and I've sung it other times before, as well. I think it's Chris Tomlin that sings it. And, and, the, and part of it says, I hear the sound of many angels singing, Worthy is the Lamb. I hear the cry of every longing heart singing, Worthy is the Lamb. Life eternal to come in the presence of God, our Savior, and the Lamb. It's wonderful and it's glorious. But that's not all there is to it. Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 21. If you have a Bible like me, it's at the very end. Revelation has 22 chapters, okay? At the end of time, John says, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, with humanity. That word dwelling. It's the Greek version of the word that we would get tabernacle. Okay, The tabernacle was like before they had the temple, they had a tent where God dwelled. It was his tabernacle. It's where God pitched his tent. 
Okay? And in John chapter 1, it says the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us, pitched his tent here for 30 some years, God in the flesh, Jesus on the earth until he died and went to heaven. And at the end of time, it says the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God will again be with humanity. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Oh, they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Today we're talking about new life and life eternal. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in him will live even though that person dies. So what does this mean for all of us today? When we talk about new life and life eternal, my question is, do you want it? Do you want that? Do you want that new life? And do you want that life eternal? Do you want that? And really, that that question is really means, do you want Jesus? I had a privilege of being, uh, being there on someone's deathbed when they gave their heart to Jesus. And his wife had prayed for him for decades. And he had a terminal illness. And I talked with him a bit. He couldn't really communicate because of the illness. How it had, he, he, he couldn't really talk. And we talked through some things. And, and I told him, you know, you have an opportunity. Like, you know you're going to die soon. Not everybody gets that. And I'm talking through things and asking. And his wife finally butts in and says, do you want Jesus? That's all she asked. Do you want Jesus? And he said, Yes. That's why I say I had the privilege of being there when it happened. Because a woman named Lucy, who had prayed for 40-some years, do you want Jesus? And he said, yes. Another question I have for you. Do you want others to have it and to have him? To have the hope that you have? And if so, what will you do about it? What will you sacrifice to have it And what will you sacrifice to share it? You know, if you're a Christian, you have this good news. You have this pearl of great price, so to speak, right? If you know the parable. So what what is sharing that worth to you and to me? I don't necessarily have an answer for that question, but I think it's a good question to ask. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, how important is it to you? Because you see, Jesus is holding out his hands to you even today. You don't have to jump through a lot of hoops to sit in a chair that's Jesus. It's simply, I need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. Jesus, will you save me? And you're born again. And so uh, I want to give a, an opportunity. Uh, I don't think I've really ever done something like this before, but I, I want us to have a, a time to answer some of those questions together. Okay? So uh, go ahead. Let's all... Well, Close our eyes, bow our heads. This is a time, you and God. So God, we ask by your spirit to work in us. And, and I've got a couple, a couple questions for you. And, and my response, uh, your response can be raising your hands. Okay. So the first question I have, and this is for everybody, Christian, non-Christian, you could be a Christian for decades and decades and decades. Who here, and we'll keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed, who here wants that life eternal, wants Jesus. Go ahead, put your hand up if that's you. If you want that, 
And maybe you've had it for decades. You, you can do it. Put your hand up. Yeah, you want that. Good. All right, you can put your hand down. Now, I have a question. Who, who's here, and maybe you feel like, I know I want that. But I, I, I feel like I've walked my own way, and like I, I want to recommit my life to really following Jesus. If, if that's you today, you can go ahead and put your hand up. If that's you today. Yeah. Oh, you, can put your, you can put your hands down. And then this last one is, if, uh, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, you never had that time where you like, yeah, I sat in the chair, that's Jesus. You couldn't say, yeah, I know I'm a Christian, or if I, if I were to die today, I know that, that, that I put my faith in Jesus. If that's you, and if you want that new life, that eternal life, go ahead and put your hand up. If you want that. You can put your hands down. And um, as our worship team, praise band comes on up. If you guys want to just play, maybe Emily, you can play a little bit in the background. I just want to have a little bit of time of prayer. I'll have a little bit of time of prayer, and then you guys can go into the next song. But here's what, here's what I want to do, okay? For those three different groups, actually probably four groups. You can open your eyes now, sorry. You can open your eyes. I don't want you falling asleep on me. If you're in that, that first group, you put your faith in Jesus. You know he saved you, and you're like, yeah, I want that eternal life. I want that. And in this time, I want you to be thanking God in your heart for the salvation you have, and I want you to be praying for those around you, for loved ones that don't know Jesus, asking God, who can you bring on Easter, any of those things. Okay, that's where I want you guys to take a little time praying. Um. <clears throat> If, you, uh, if you're in that kind of second group where you're like, I, I, I want this and I believe it and I put my faith in Jesus, but I, I, I feel like I want to recommit, then go ahead and just tell him how you feel. He's listening. Tell him how you feel. Tell him what you want. Share your heart with him. He'll meet you right there. And if you're uh, in, that, in that last group and you've never put your faith in Jesus and you want to, okay, I, I'm going to encourage you, okay? You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to have everything down. You don't have to have your theology all figured out. You don't even have to know what theology means. If you know you need a Savior, and you know that Jesus is that Savior, I invite you during this song to just come down and sit in the chair. You don't have to have it all figured out. Sitting in this chair doesn't make you a Christian, okay? It doesn't. <laughs> Putting your faith in Jesus. Because he died in your place. That's what makes you a Christian. Coming forward and sitting on the chair can be a symbol of what's going on inside my heart, what's going on inside your heart.